today on another beautiful day. I would have to say that uh, this year compared to last year, I'm going to prefer this season. Someone had said, I don't remember what day of the week, but I think it was around Wednesday or Thursday, and they reminded me that a year ago on that day, it was 33 below zero last year, and uh, we were about 50 above. Hard to even imagine the difference, it was 80 degrees plus, um, but it's made calving and all of the ranch activities uh, actually enjoyable. <laughs> so uh, we're very thankful for that, and uh, at any rate, let's take our Bibles uh, once again and turn to the, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and we'll be reading once again, I think the same that we did Uh, I might even go to uh, verse 17 today, beginning at verse 1 through verse 17. We're going through uh, chapter 8 of Romans, which, quite honestly, we could uh, label as life in the Spirit. Uh, Chapter 8 of Romans maybe talks about as much of the the work that the Holy Spirit does as maybe any other chapter in the Bible. There's a number of uh, facets or aspects that the Spirit works on, and we'll be on number four today. We looked at three of them last week, but I'm also going to include one uh, for next week, the Lord willing, what we will find in verses 14 through 17. But again, let's start now in verse one, chapter eight of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace." Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness." But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For, you, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, that we may be also glorified together. And may God add a special blessing to reading of His Word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your care, Your love, Your grace, Your mercy. Things that are innumerable in the sense of the privileges that You've given to us. 
Father, we thank you for, what the, work, for the work that Jesus Christ has done. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, that it has empowered us, Father, and has enacted us to do what is impossible without you. Father, we thank you for what you'll do this day. We would ask that you would guide our thoughts, that you would have all of us for these moments before us. And Father, you would be glorified as a result, as we would see the impact that, Father, you and, and uh, God the Son and God the Spirit have really done to us, for us, and through us. And now, Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be exclusively our teacher today, using the Word of God to meld us, to move us, to shape us, and to encourage us to be all that you've designed and desired for us to be. Thank you that you've saved us onto good works. Thank you, Father, for all of the many blessings that you provided us with. And now as we turn to this passage of Scripture, may you be lifted, elevated, exalted, and worshipped. We'll pause to thank you for these moments that we have. With anticipation, we want to thank you in advance for the Spirit moving and working. These things we ask now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Uh, last week, uh, we, we were looking at, uh, and it all kind of ties together, I, I, hopefully it ties together. We, we've been on kind of an extended version of, um, I'm not even sure where it started ultimately, but this chapter 8 actually is tying into uh, some message that we talked in Romans chapter 12, and, and we're talking about worship. Uh, it is our reasonable service, if you remember verses 1 and 2, um, in the sense of us uh, giving a living sacrifice to God and, and laying ourselves, if you will, at His feet, being living and giving everything we are to Him. Uh, that's, that is a reasonable worship, if you will. Uh, one of the things that seemed to come through to that is as we're having our mind renewed, and that was don't be conformed to the world. Do you mind? Let's just go back to Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Uh, well, actually, it, it fits in perfectly today in a number of places, but let's just read that right now. Get it in our minds. Romans, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or worship, as some of your versions may have. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as, as I was contemplating um, and meditating as such, the sense of that word transform, to transform our mind, literally talks about what the Spirit does within us after we become saved. And chapter 8 of Romans is really a chapter, the first seven chapters are really relaying to us, or to anyone for that matter, uh, the, the level of condemnation, what sin really has us, it has us in a full court press. It has us up against the wall. There's nothing that we can get from where we're at, aside from, uh, 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 apart from Christ, than death. That's the wages of sin. And it goes on to say that, and we get to chapter 8, verse 1, and it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation to him that is in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful place to be, right? I mean, that, that's a high arc, and yet that's not all there, there is to it. In fact, the Spirit is uh, magnanimous in all that he is able to accomplish. Uh, now, Christ is doing the work, and the Spirit applies it to us. Um, as I said, there's seven aspects of the Spirit's work uh, ultimately in this chapter. We've, we'll just briefly go back and review just momentarily on what we went through last week. That first one, uh, and there's no condemnation. Why? Because, really literally in verses 2 and 3, the Spirit is freeing us from death and sin. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin, which is death. 
uh, not only are we free from death and sin, but we're also, we're enabled to fulfill God's law. Now, we talked about there is really no power, there is no freedom, there is nothing to essentially emancipate us. I was thinking of that today. Let me just stop, just as a, just a little parenthesis. Today, as we think about, I would like for you, we're, we're moving there, but I, I'm thinking of this, that verses 12 and 13 of chapter 8 that we're dealing on today, and it's the fourth movement or the fourth aspect, is the sense of it's the key to spiritual victory over sin. That's what we're going to be looking at. That's kind of a focal point we'll have today. I was thinking of this. Does anyone remember when, have you heard of the document called the Emancipation Proclamation? Remember that? When was that? Remember? No, not, I mean, just give me a time frame. I'm not that picky. I want the date. By the way, it was September 22nd of some year because I happen to look it up. Ooh, really close. What? Well, look at this guy. September 22nd of 1862. What was it about? What was the Emancipation Proclamation? What, what was it about and who issued it? It was an executive order. Abraham Lincoln. And what did, it, what did it say ultimately? It freed the slaves. Now, again, think of this. The, the Civil War, which is the most treacherous, the most uh, awful war that this country thus far has ever endured. To literally be in a civil war amongst its own citizens, fighting against, in some cases, brother against brother, depending on, and family against family. It was absolutely diabolical and despicable in the sense of what it did to the fabric and the fiber of our nation. And it was over the sense of freedom. <laughs> and that's exactly what this was about. Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of the war, it started in 1861, ended in 1865, and in 1862... Abraham Lincoln took it upon himself to really lay out this emancipation of... of there we go. Okay, there we go. Got, got it. Um, and it was only three pages long, as I recall, but it said some very, very powerful things. That word emancipation is the one that just caught me. I was thinking of that as, we were, as I was preparing today. And what does emancipation mean? That's a really big word. How many of you use that word this week? Emancipation. Did you use it anywhere? In husband and wife talking to one another? Probably not, right? What does emancipation mean? Freedom or to be liberated. Now, in this case, now think of it, and it's much that I'm, I'm making some to do about this because this really is the same picture that Paul is trying to give to us. It is not only there's no condemnation, but literally because of what the Spirit is doing, we are free from sin. Positionally, you are free from sin. And for those slaves to have, and obviously most of them probably couldn't even read, but to know of a document that the President of the United States had signed and said that all African Americans in this nation shall be free and liberated from slavery. I'm not sure that you could even understand that. I want you to try, though, because it's even more I'm more supreme in the fact that Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, God the Father is declaring for us because of the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to, uh, to acclaim and the emancipation proclamation from God's perspective is that everyone that has trusted Christ is free from sin. Isn't that, that is so tremendous. I mean, and, and there's nothing we did to earn it. Now, again, those African-American slaves, I'm sure when they first would have heard of that, they would have said, what does that mean? How can that be? What did I do? It means a lot. 
Because freedom was something they'd never experienced. Now, the interesting part for us as Christians are, we may feel freedom, there may be some aspects of it, but you know what? I don't think we really realize how much freedom we have because of the power of the Spirit that lives in each one of us that has trusted Christ. There is no limit to power to conquer sin. That's not the problem. It's not a lack of power. How many times have we maybe even prayed? And I'm not trying to point fingers in. I've even done it. Lord God, give me the power that I need to overcome whatever. No, no, it's not a power problem. It's an appropriation problem. Because it's the same power, it's the same Holy Spirit that literally... Let's go to Romans chapter 1. I think, I hope I'm right. It just came to my mind. Romans chapter 1. If it's not, uh, I may punt and come back later. But Romans chapter 1. And uh, as we start... I want you to see something in regards... Yeah, there it is. Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 as Paul is opening this magnanimous book that was written to the church in Rome. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power... According to the spirit of holiness, that's the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead. The same spirit that lives within you today, if, you're, if you've trusted Christ. And by the way, we'll, we'll get to this in a moment, uh, reviewing. But that same spirit lives within you. He's no less powerful today. He didn't lose his power. It's the same spirit that literally raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the same power that lives within us. I'm sorry I'm a little bit loud today, but I just, I can't, this is actually exciting and accentuating this, this incredible truth will absolutely allow you to see and part through all of the fog of what sin can do to you. The overpower. Now, by the way, the law and the flesh have no power. You cannot, you cannot war against flesh with flesh and win. Humanness against humanness. You can't win. There's no power in any of that. We must have something beyond that. The Holy Spirit, the power to allow us literally to fulfill the law, God's law of righteousness. By the power of the Spirit of Christ, we become pleasing to God. That's the second aspect. We find it in verse 4, back in Romans chapter 8. The third one, which we talked about last week, we find in verses 5 through 11. If you'll take your scriptures, turn back there to verse 5, you'll notice the pronouns that are used. He speaks of the flesh and he speaks of the Spirit. In verse 5, he says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There's this deep contrast, if you will. And then look down in, uh, in verse 8. It says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're without Jesus Christ today, or if you're, if you're here today and do not know Jesus Christ personally, I'm, I'm here to say, not to give you bad news, but I'm going to give you bad news, but there's good news to follow. There's no way that you can continue to, to be in any position to please God if you are not living in the Spirit. The only way you can live in the Spirit is to trust Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit indwells you immediately. You don't wait for it. You don't ask for it. You don't have somebody else pray for you. It literally at the point of conversion, that is, you're trusting Christ by faith, poof, you have the Holy Spirit. And all of that power is there. That's amazing to me. I just, it just blows my mind. But it's true. 
Now let's, uh, in fact, let's go on with that. In, in other words, the third point, the third aspect, the first one being we were freed from death and sin by the Holy Spirit because we've been placed in Christ. Uh, Christ did the work. The Holy Spirit appropriated that or made it to be the case. And then secondarily, he enables us as a result of us being freed from sin to be able to fulfill God's law. And thirdly, he literally changes our nature. Verses 5 through 11 talk about that. I'd like to go again to um, verse 9, because verse 8 we just read, if you're in the flesh, that is in, in humanness all and of itself, you cannot please God. That, that's, a, that's a verse that's one that is really need to be contemplated. Now, if you think about this, tell me what the purpose of religion is. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily taking anyone. I'm taking them almost the big picture of religion. Put your arms around religion. What is its purpose? What is it trying to accomplish? Okay. It really is. It's man reaching up to God. We're going to do it man's way, Right? That sounds really good, doesn't it? But you know what? There's no life in that. There's no life in it. There's no power. Now, for a moment, you may be able to rise up and do something that looks pious and looks... But to who does it look pious to? Ourselves or potentially those around us. In fact, the Pharisees were really big on religion, weren't they? In fact, they wanted to make sure that everybody saw what they were doing because they would rise up and puff their chests out, and talk about really, really big, magnanimous things that they had done. Thank God I am not like this sinner that's over here, right? What's, what's, what's something that just makes, if God threw up, this is what he would throw up on, and that would be what? Pride. He hates pride. And you know what? Religion is so prideful, isn't it? It's so prideful. Even the disciples, wasn't it Peter that said... Uh... We've suffered everything for you, Jesus. Now, basically, what's in it for us? <laughs> and we bought our way in. I mean, we've been in for the game. We, we invested in you, yeah. Jesus. Now, that's, not, it's, that's my word, but isn't it true? A religion. We've invested in doing what's right to get something back from God. Oh, we've missed it, haven't we? It's all about us. There's nothing about us. That's what I love about chapter 8. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, but it's not anything we've done. It's because of what God did. And you see, you see God the Father, you see God the Son, you see God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in chapter 8, it's, 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 mag- it's just crazy awesome to me. It's marvelous in what that part of the Trinity is doing today. And we sometimes even miss it. We're, he, he's one of the least spoken of, I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's one of the least spoken of in the sense of power and action, and particularly today. If the Holy Spirit was not active in this world today. I'm going to just share something. I wouldn't want to be here. Yeah, God help us. And it's even tough enough as it is. But that's one of the things we spoke about last week. I don't want to go too far down this branch, but we talked of there's a coming a time when the Holy Spirit will be taken out. The restrainer will be restrained, if you will, and he will not be part of this planet. I can't imagine that. Literally cannot imagine it. I shouldn't, it would scare me to death if I was here, (laughs) right? Because literally, it's the Holy Spirit that uses the Word of God to convict us of sin that sets us on a pathway to get saved. The Holy Spirit is doing that. 
And when he's not here, I can't imagine. Now, I do know, I, I said I wouldn't go down that branch too far. I'll, I'll just, let's lop that off and keep moving. I'll, I'll get down there somewhere. Sometime we'll have to, we'll have to go through Revelation again. But let's, let's go back. Uh, so number three is the sense of changing our nature. There's a transformation. This comes and ties in beautifully with Romans chapter 12, where you're transferred by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. So let's, oh, one thing I want to make sure of is let's take a look now at, verses, at verse 9. It says, but you, it's speaking now to these Romans that are, that are believers, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be, and that word, if you were going to say, if so be, you could put the word since, since the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, did you watch that for a moment? We'll just watch. There's three different names that are attributed to the Holy Spirit. All of them different, but all meaning the same. Look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, he's none of it. Did you see that? Three different names, three different aspects, but the same Holy Spirit dwells within you. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Again, that, that sentence right there. If there was one to just grasp a hold of, the, 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 the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if he dwell in you, since you've been saved, he does. Watch now. The dead shall also quicken their mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He is transforming you from the inside out. Which now we come to the fourth one. That's what we would like to spend our time on today is in verses 12 and 13, and that is the Holy Spirit empowers us for victory over the flesh. Over the flesh. Now, one of the things I would like to point out, we'll come back to it probably a little bit later as well, is the fact that we really do have an obligation. Not that we're paying a debt off, but it says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors. To who? To the flesh? What has the flesh ever done for you? That would be zero. I'm not even going to let you think about it very long. The flesh has done nothing for you. Now, actually, the flesh killed Jesus. My sin put Jesus on the cross and killed him. Your sin put Jesus on the cross and killed him. Wouldn't it seem appropriate, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to kill sin in our life that killed Jesus? That's pretty serious talk. But that is literally, if, there's, if we were going to take this text in two words, it would be this. Kill sin. You mean like really dead? Like really dead. And it's amazing how some sin, you know, it's not final, is it? Because we have this temple or this body that is so human and so complex in the sense of lusts and desires and all of these things that envelop us. And yet, we are asked to kill, to mortify. In fact, let's look at, I think it's at verse 13. Let's keep going. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. That's to put to death, to, to literally, to slay sin. Those are, powerful, those are powerful words. But we need to get about the business of killing sin in our lives. Now, the other really cool thing, what, what, now what, what, if, what if I just put on this board? I want you to go home, and I want you to kill. I want Because I want to see what kill sin looks like on the board, right? Kill sin. 
It sounds almost a little strange when you say it. How many, how many of you have heard that recently? Go kill sin. That's a little weird, isn't it? But I'm going to tell you something. When you look at a perspective of what it did to Jesus, it killed Jesus. Thankfully, it was perfect sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead to guarantee once and for all that that was an adequate sacrifice. But to kill sin. To kill sin. Wow. That's almost a, a concept that's hard for us to grab a hold of. Now, if I told you that's your mission, that's it. Okay, you guys get out of here. Go, that's your, I, I want you guys to go out, take care of business, kill sin, and come back next week. I think it'd be kind of like this. I don't think I can do that, right? Yeah, right. Tony says, out the door. Why? Why would we do it that way? Because, again, we've almost, we miss the fact, you know what? God is not asking us to do it. He's not asking us to do something that we're not able to do. He's asking us to do it. Remember in verse 13? I I underlined this in my Bible because this is the key. Through the Spirit. We're not asked to do it by ourselves. In fact, you would have no chance. You can't do that because there's no way that flesh can can war against flesh and win. Can't do it. Humanness cannot win against humanness. It has to be over and above. It has to come from this transformation. It comes from having Jesus Christ placed into Jesus Christ, I should say it that way, by the Holy Spirit. But you know what? God isn't asking us something that we can't do. We can literally kill sin because the fact of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Because if we have the Spirit, we're able to accomplish what He's asking. Now, how do we deal with sin? Uh, verse 13, it says that the power of victory, and, and that's one of the things. What, where is the power? Where is the victory? And you say, well, that's easy. It's from the Holy Spirit. Correct. But how many times do we try to war against whatever it is that we're, a temptation comes, and you know, how, we, how do we fight that? Too many times, it's just us. I mean, I'm talking ourselves. We take a look at it. Oh, I don't know if I can, right? No, exactly right. In fact, those that don't know Christ personally, this battle that's been talked about in chapter 7 of Romans, they have known no part of it. They are dead in trespasses and sins. They can't even recognize it. That's sometimes for me, and and this is something that, uh, because, uh, how do I want to say this? Sometimes the things that gets us upset are things that really shouldn't upset us. For instance, if there's, you know, through every given week, there's somebody that, that does something that really, I would say, annoys me or angers me. But it's usually if you say the source of it, guess what? They don't even know Jesus. Why, why should I be surprised? They don't even know the difference. Right? And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that should allow me to literally express love over that. Now, I'm not, it is hard. It really is hard. Now, one of the things, we don't want to accept wrong or to promote wrong. I'm not trying to say that, but the sense of how we respond to it should be very different because of the love that Jesus Christ has given to us by living, I'm sorry, for dying for the sin that literally killed him that I killed him with. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really important. So let's keep going, though. The power of victory is through the Spirit. It's not your power. And if you didn't possess the spirit, you couldn't possibly overcome the flesh or to kill sin. Flesh, again, I would say it again, cannot overcome flesh. Sin cannot gain the victory over sin. Humanness cannot defeat humanness. Turn back to, uh, hold your place, you may even have to stay on the same page, but Romans chapter 7, verse 18, uh, Paul again expressing his, I just, I love the fact that he's so open 
and so just transparent. I mean, that's the best word. He says in verse 18 of chapter 7, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. In fact, I want to do what's right, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And that, that's, the, that's something that Christian wrestles with. Uh, if, if you're not a Christian, verse 18 would be like, I'm really not battling with that right now. Why? Because you don't even know the difference. You're, you're, and you don't have a desire to do what's right. You may have a desire to do what's right as long as it benefits you. It may look right. It may feel right. But it's not because it is right. Because it's something that you want. Paul is talking about the fact when you're in Christ, you have new desires. You want to please God. And you say, well, not all the... That's right. But why? Because the flesh. This is what, this is what Paul's uh, complaining about. It's the same for us. We're in the same battle. Is the fact that there are most of, I want to say this, there's still a sense of the most of the time we would want to do, if you're a Christian, if you don't want to ever, oh, let me say it this way, if you have no desire to please God at all, I don't think you're saved. Because the Bible, not, it's not me, I'm just saying the Bible declares, you're probably not saved. If you have no desire to please God ever, I can't see where you would be transformed, Right? The Spirit wouldn't be living within you. Now, at the same time, does that mean every single minute of in 24-7 you say, I want to please God? No, it doesn't work that way. Let's just be honest. Let's be, that's not reality. Why? Because the same battle that Paul is engaged in, he is wrestling with this humanness, this flesh, that is just continually wanting its complex to be satisfied. And then it's the Spirit. But you know what? The Holy Spirit lives within us. We make choices. We'll be talking about this as we get on. That battle is ongoing, isn't it? You can't tell me that you've had a week where you've had no battles between the flesh and the spirit. If you do, I'm scared for you. <laughs> because if Paul had trouble, this is what I love. Paul told me, see, that would, now what if chapter 7 of Romans wasn't ever in the book? Our, our perspective of Paul would be, he is a super saint. He must have never struggled. I love chapter 7 of Romans. He's just like you. and he's just, I didn't mean to point at anybody. I did, but I mean, he's just like me. That's better, right? He's just like me. And you know what? That encourages me because that Holy Spirit that was living with Paul the Apostle, Superman, and he wasn't, I'm just saying that, but quotes around, is the same that's living within me, and I have no reason to expect it to be any different. But it's not a power problem. It's the appropriation problem. And that's why the key to spiritual victory, literally, is in us responding to what we know to be true. Now, as we've already pointed out in chapter 8 of Romans in verses 5 and 7, in the sense that there is victory over the flesh, the flesh cannot please God, and it can't obey God's law. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, one of the things I, want to, I would like to point out, we'll take just a few moments here. Um, if I say, uh, I'm going to just say the Holy Spirit, now you may... I could say the Spirit of Christ. We'll look at something in Colossians compared to Ephesians that's actually going to take us to a whole new level. But um, in a, if I'm going to say the Spirit, capital S, I'm going to say the Holy Spirit. Um, if I say that, let me just jot this on the board. <clears throat> if I write down Holy Spirit, what, does, what comes to mind? Uh, and there, there may be multiples of things, but I want, I, I'm going to, hopefully, when you see the Holy Spirit, I want something, a word that just comes flying at you. Because that helps us to see what we need to see. Every day we're trying to kill sin. Okay, so Holy Spirit, what, what comes to your mind when you see that? What just pops out? I say, excuse me, prayer. Oh, that's really good. 
That's really good. In fact, prayer is so key to utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one of those things we'll be talking about. I think there's four or five of them. How do we kill sin? We're going to come back and just ask that question. I don't even know if we're going to get there today. It's quite a ways down in the notes. I took more notes today than I have in a long time. Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> oh, can we leave now? Yeah, there we go. Exactly, Alice. Just move on out, you know. We, but I, somewhere the Spirit will lead, and we will either have part two, hopefully at a very high climactic point, or we'll finish with a miracle from God, right? Okay, at any rate, so prayer. And prayer is essential in the sense of working of the Holy Spirit. No question. What else? Maybe we'll even just write some of these down. What else? When, I, when you see or hear the word Holy Spirit, what pops out at you? The Trinity. He would be one of the Trinity. That's right. A personage, our personality is a better word, of, of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I'll just write down Trinity. It's amazing, you know, um, how much the Bible is filled with. You have to kind of look around a little bit. Did you see this? Even in chapter, all over. You'll see it everywhere. You'll see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you start to see the equal part of all of that as they're working. Look at the baptism of Jesus Christ. They were all there. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Okay, but let's keep going. I don't want to go down that trail either. What else? Holy Spirit. Comforter. That's a good one. That's a good one. Comforter. Did someone say something else? That's all, You know, that is really nice because if you're comforted, you're at peace, aren't you? So I'm going to put peace in parenthesis. That is actually one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit was sent. Because I'm going to tell you something. Would you think that the gift of the Holy Spirit, and again, sometimes it's like when we say the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is described right here in this text, it is a gift that God gives upon the onset of salvation. That's his gift. In fact, uh, for just a second, this verse popped in my mind. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Ephesians 1 verse 13 it may say what I'm looking for. It'll help us anyway. I'm not sure exactly how. It's verse 1 of chapter... Uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13. Here we go. In whom... This is speaking... Anytime you see in Ephesians, in whom, in him, it, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. It says, in whom, that would be Jesus Christ, you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed... In other words, you believe Jesus Christ, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, a seal never goes away. You're locked in. You couldn't even get away from him. If you've trusted Christ, that's a promise of security promise that he will be with you all the way to eternity. Someone should say amen because that's really cool. You can't get away from him. Now, if you're a, Christ, if you're a Christian that's in, living in sin... Oh, is that painful, right? I've been out of fellowship with God, and it's no fun because the Holy Spirit is there, and he's coaxing, and he's probing, and he's saying, Larry, I can't hear you. can't hear you. No, it's right there. He is a seal, a stamp that you, Larry, are mine, God's, to the very end. Isn't that great? Awesome. Awesome stuff. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, Holy Spirit, we've got, uh, reminds us of prayer. Uh, The Trinity... Comforter, which in another way would say to have peace. What else could we say? Excuse me? Yeah, that's good. Conscience. In fact, the Holy Spirit will work through your conscience. Now, there are people today that literally their conscience has been seared. They have made so many choices, having, equal, having choices, 
They have seared their conscience. And they, can't even, they can't even make the right decision. That's a dangerous place. But a conscience that is active and, um, what's the right word? Um, clean. Oh, my. That's how the Holy Spirit can really work. He can really work and help you uh, make the right decision. So, let's see. Conscience. I'm not doing very well. Okay, conscience. That's not right, but if you don't look, you won't know. Right? Is it close? That's pretty close. Yeah, that's right. It's right. Isn't it? Nice. Okay, if everybody, okay, we, we, I just want to say this for record. Most of the people in this room spell it the same way I just did. So it's good enough for me, right? Okay. What else can we say? What else can we say? So let's, uh, I would say, how could we say that? Because um, there's two different concepts here. Um, he actually offers conviction, right? That, that, excuse me? Oh, reveals. I like, see, that fits in with some of the, so let's say a truth revealer. How's that? You guys okay with that? And then we'll kind of dive this one down over here into this one, right? Okay. I like it. What else? Isn't that enough? Well, the, the bad, there's good news, bad news. I like what you got up there, but the one word that I was really looking for isn't up there yet. So we've got to keep moving. That's it. What was it that I said that just gave that away? <laughs> we were talking about it, right? Okay. The, I, this, and this really literally, now this, we're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to kind of look at how the Bible puts that together. But the word power, that is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. It is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at, for a moment, to, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a number of scriptures right now. Acts chapter 1. I'll get there. And verse 8. Beginning of the church. Verse 6, we'll start there. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, this is the disciples, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now, let's just stop for a moment. I I hadn't thought of it until we hit it right here. Okay, so here we got the disciples. They've surrounded themselves. They've invested in Jesus. Okay, that's my word. And they've watched him be crucified, which really blew their minds. How is this going to work out for us? I mean, we were thinking of the Israel, this is the coming kingdom. This is the thing that God spoke of in the Old Testament, that Daniel would have saw those peaks, you know, the peaks of prophecy. There's a whole lot of valleys. Have you noticed your life? You, you see a peak and there's another big fat valley, which you just go, I did not see that coming. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? But it's almost a little bit that for the Old Testament saints, is they saw from a distance things that God prophesied. Yes, that's correct, but there's a whole lot of things in between. And see, they never saw the church age. They didn't see that. That was kind of in between peaks. But it's there. And so they're saying now, let's see now. Let me get, this has got to be the time. Jesus, you were killed. You were crucified. You were dead. You were buried. And now you're raised from the dead. Is this the time now? Does it, this makes perfect sense. If you would have appeared to everybody as they knew you were dead, now we can have the kingdom. Sounds logical, doesn't it? It's kind of like me. I'm ready for the rapture. Let's go home. Let's go home. Amen, right? Is this the end? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm convinced that in Second Peter it talks about the fact that he wants everyone to have the chance to be redeemed. He would, that everyone would repent. That everyone would come to him. And I can be assured of this. When we hit the end, there is not one person left that has not had a chance 
to make a decision. I'm, I've, doesn't that make, make, makes me feel really, really, even again, an awesome God. And that's why we're hanging around, guys. Because we got two kinds of people. I said it last week. We got the saints and we got the ain'ts. And I thought of this through this week. You know what's the difference between saints and ain'ts? The capital S. I'm sorry, the S, which would be the spirit, which really is the difference between a saint and an ain't. Isn't that good? Sounds good. Wow. Uh, wow, right? Wow, that's way out there, Larry. Let's grab that, right? I don't think that's very scriptural at all, but at the same time, it sure sounds good because I'll tell you what, that is truly the difference between being a saint and an ain't is the Spirit is what makes the difference. Without the Holy Spirit, you would not be saved today because that's the way God made it. The work of Christ, the transforming the power of the Spirit. Okay, let's look at a couple of others. Um, let's go to Acts chapter 6. You're in Acts already. Let's go to... Oh, did I finish? I didn't even... Oh, I'm so... De- Thank you for catching that. Okay. I just led you off at another branch, crashed the tree, and moved on down the tree. Well, somebody did, right? The Holy Spirit, maybe. Let's, let's give him credit. It says here, uh, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And I, I'll have to say, what a perfect question. And he responds this way in verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. That's a really good response to those that think they know where the rapture is going to happen. That's a really good response. It's not for us to know when that will happen because he says in verse 8, it's even more important. Listen, watch now. But you shall... Re- I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the, which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive... Say it. Power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is what matters, disciples. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and what did he say you're going to get? Power. 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 Now, let's go to Acts chapter 6, and let's look at a few more verses in regards to this. Acts chapter 6, we'll look at verse 3. Actually, we should start in verse 1. There's some, there's some growing pains, if you will, in the church. And in Acts chapter 6, it says in verse 1, And in, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, this is, the, in other words, the, the multitude of disciples would be Christians, followers of Christ. That's what a disciple is. Now, the, the apostles as such, um, they're being put on the stand, Hey, we've got to get some people taken care of here. What are you going to do about it? And they said, you know what? As important as this is, it's not a reason for us stop teaching and for us to continue learning what is about the Word of God as us to give that out there. That's a key component in any church is the sense of spreading the Word of God, getting it out there. Now watch, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report. Oh, no, stop. You read it, I know already, but he already read it. But what would you say if you were an apostle and you're trying to work through this, this problem? What are the criteria that you'd want for these men to come to the height of this problem? What would you want to be part of their life for them to work this out according to God? 
That's a good question, isn't it? And they describe it. Now, let's, let's read it with that in, in our minds. It says, Wherefore, brother, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this... Bit. Now, that sounds perfect, doesn't it? You would want somebody full of the Holy Ghost, somebody with wisdom, and somebody that's truthful. This is going to get worked out, especially if you've got a group of these guys. Can you imagine seven of those? It's going to make a big difference. Now, turn down... Uh, to, to verse 5, we're kind of cutting through this a little bit. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and, uh, let's see, Micanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And if I, spell those guys, or I said those guys' names wrong, I really apologize, but too bad. There we go. Keep going. Verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 8. And Stephen full of faith and, did you see it? Power. (laughs) Did you see? Synonymous with the Holy Ghost. If he's full of the Holy Ghost, guess what he's full of? Power. If you're here today and you are a Christian, that is, you've trusted Christ as Savior, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit, but it also means you are full of power. Have you ever thought of it that way? Boy, I don't see a lot of stuff going on. Well, I'm not going to say, right? So magnanimous. It sets us up. In fact, we're gonna, in fact, every one of Paul's letters, he lays out... I'm a little bit ahead, but that's great. You, you remind me of that. Just a sec. No, no, no. It's good because it's right. We're, we're going to keep working on it. Okay, and then let's look at uh, verse 55. Verse 55. Oh, wait. That's not going to work, is it? There's not a 55 in chapter 6. So let's go to chapter 7 and verse 55 because all of 7 is about what? Tell me what chapter 7 of Acts is about. What is, what's going on in here? Does anybody know? Yeah, it's the stoning of Stephen. What he does is, what did we just say what? He was full of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, and meaning he's full of power. And the interesting part is, is he unfolds this sermon to these that are non-believers, essentially. Watch this in verse 55, and I, read this on your own as you go through. It's a, it's a fabulous job of speaking of the history of Israel and how God literally, through Jesus Christ, made a significant difference. Now, as we get into verse 54, this is the end of it. He said, this is chapter 7. When they heard these things that Stephen spoke, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He was full of the Holy Ghost, even now, which if you read a few more verses, they literally stoned him. Now, do you know one of the protocols? This is, this is, just, this is uh, free, uh, no extra charge today. I just thought I'd throw this out here. But do you know how the stoning would take place? I mean, they had, he had offended them so badly. Now, how do you think it was cut to the heart? Who do you think did that? The Holy Spirit. Exactly. And how did that happen? Because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's the one that had the power. How much power does it take after someone throws a rock at you and you say, in fact, watch what he says. Same, same passage. Just, just go down just a moment. Uh, verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he, was, he died. Is there any way being short of full of the Holy Ghost that you could say that 
to someone that was killing you. I'm here to say there's not a chance in the world. But literally, um, if you were going, let's just for a moment, just, I don't know why I'm even telling you this, but the significance uh, maybe isn't really right there, but let's just, just talk about it. If you were going to, like, for instance, Stephen, if he was being stoned, and did you see the word witnesses? Okay, so they went through a crude way of, I'm sure they didn't have Pilate's approval. Pilate would have been the governor of which they really should have went to saying, you know what, this guy needs stoning, and we have some witnesses that prove that he has blasphemed or whatever, whatever cause they came with. See, Pilate should have been the one to give that authority. No one died in Israel at that point when Pilate or, or the Romans were in charge without someone, some Roman official giving a stamp of that's okay. They didn't do that. They did it quick. But obviously you need at least two witnesses. Now, the way it would work in this case is they would literally throw this person, Stephen in this case, they would throw him off a nine-foot height. So just think of it. You're nine foot high. Okay. What is this ceiling? Probably eight? Close? Okay. So, so let's add another foot. They would, they would have pushed Stephen off in this, you know, below this this. I hate to call it a scaffold because that doesn't, it, it's not that high. But then those two witnesses, the first one would have pushed him off and the second one would take a rock and either drop it on his head or on his chest. And then the rest of the, rest of the gang would come and finish the job. That's how it happened. If you had a stoning, that is exactly the way it happened. Now think of that. And then the man, full of the Holy Ghost, says, God, don't lay this to their claim." That's power. Now that's power. Where do you think he was? Who did, when he was full of the Holy Ghost, who did he see? Let's read that verse again. Let's read it one more time because it's so powerful. He says, he looked in he, verse 55, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And that was when they lost it. That's when they lost it. But you know who didn't lose anything? Stephen. He was in the arms of Jesus. And that's why there's really nothing in this side, on this physical death, or the, I'm sorry, this physical life of when someone can take it. It means nothing because God is eternal. The Holy Spirit has saved us, has in, given us every position that we need to eternally be with Him because of the love that was spread through Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection. It's so amazing what God is doing. It's not just a temporary thing. Okay, let's turn one more time to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave chapter 8. We went to chapter 1 and 4. Romans chapter 15. Let's go there for a moment. Now, on the way, turn to Acts chapter 10. There we go. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Again, this says uh, the moment. <clears throat> verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. Just giving an, ins- an instance of the Holy Ghost falling on them, if you will. Well, Peter yet spake these words... Now let's go back. Uh, no, that's okay. We've got to keep moving. Well, Peter spoke these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Speaking of the fact, again, the Holy Spirit. And then remember verse... Uh, no, what verse? Where am I at? That was verse 44. Go back to verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Now, here we go. The power that the Holy Spirit had in the sense of Jesus. We talked about this last week. The Spirit in conjunction with Jesus' life. Verse 38, chapter 10 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Did you see it again? Holy Ghost power. Who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. One more passage back in the Old Testament. Can you think you guys can find Micah? Micah. Let's try Micah. 
I hear no pages rustling right now, which means you're fearful to try to find. It is, uh, for those of you who are wandering, it's in page 1,337. We'll be looking at Micah chapter 3, verse 8. For those of you who have not ventured to find it in your Bible, listen carefully. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. But truly, I am full of power by you know who, by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression to Israel, his sin. Again, you see power and the Holy Spirit going together. Now, one of the things we want to say is if you're not seeing victory over sin, the problem is, again, not the lack of power, but a lack of appropriation of that power. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians. How are we doing for time? Oh, we got time we haven't spent yet. See, actually, do you know we have, we have an extra hour? <laughs> Look at how God works miracles. See, that's exactly we're going to get through this. And there are some people that are not happy about that right now. Okay, so let's keep moving for a little bit. We'll see how it works out. 2 Corinthians, and let's look at, verse, at chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's begin at verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Wow, that's great. Using that gentleness, meekness, all of that Christ really was, who in presence in base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as we, if we walked according to the flesh. Now you say, I didn't get any of that. Okay, that's okay. Let's just stop for a second. Uh, what, what he's really saying is this. The people were saying, as he was writing to, uh, writing to the people at Corinth, right? Okay, remember the first letter to Corinth? Uh, how, did, how did Paul respond in that way? He came on pretty bold, didn't he? He told them, you guys are sinning. You've got to clean it up. You've got to take care of itself. Now, what they said is he said, yeah, Paul's kind of a chicken. He's kind of a coward because when he's face-to-face with someone, he's really gentle and meek and mild. But then he's at home with his pen, and he gets really bold and brash and kind of fiery. And he's, he's saying... No, I'm just hoping when I come there that I don't have to be bold. I want you to get it right. So that's the whole context and the whole, what, he's, what he's unfolding there. Now let's go to verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we're in humanness, we do not war after the flesh. We don't fight that war in the flesh. That's exactly right. Now, we, sometimes we do that almost without thinking. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not flesh, are not humanness, but mighty, how? Through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He is really telling us that the weapons we have are not of the flesh, but they're totally and completely through God, which would be the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. Even the thoughts, and, and you know as well as I do, most of the trouble that we get into is when we, do, when we allow a thought to become a bigger thought, which means a consuming thought, which also becomes a lustful thought, and then you know what happens? Behavior follows, or an act follows. It begins in our mind. It begins in our mind almost every single time. The mind, the mind, the mind. Now, as we walk in the Spirit, let's, let's work on that for a second. Let's go to Galatians, walking in the Spirit. Because it seems as such, that's a key. Galatians chapter 5, we'll look at several verses here. Some of them being very, very familiar to you. But let's, uh, let's tie them together. In the verse, we'll start in verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. This I say then, 
walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at that. You see the contrast again. Well, what does walking in the spirit mean, I wonder? Let's go to verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 24. And they, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Verse 17 first. Just keep following on 16, 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. It's fighting. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Again, sounds just like Paul, doesn't it? Except he did it more briefly here. In Romans chapter 7, he spent most of the chapter telling you, I want to do, but I can't do. Because I can't do what I want to do. And now verses 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified or put to death the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Oh, my goodness, it's starting to come take place. Now, turn to the next book, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. This is a passage we just dealt with one verse. And now let's watch the power that is here. Ephesians chapter 5. And be not drunk, this verse, verse 18, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians, I'll say it, we'll slow down here a little bit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine or dissipated, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the word is actually, be being kept filled. I think that's exactly a picture of what Stephen, he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was be being kept full. Never, he was always filling, always being full. He didn't look at his tank. You sometimes get this idea when, well, be filled with the Spirit. And it's like in your, in your mind, there's this Holy Spirit fuel gauge. And it goes from empty to full. And so how many of you, how many, let's just get an idea. You guys can raise your hands. So let's say you're driving your car. And you've just filled it with gas. Where's your comfort zone when you are be looking for another gas station? Is it halfway? Or are you a real, real challenge-oriented person that's right down there against the... See, now people are shaking. You know, I've got to get it out of them. With a light. And then you know what happens in the newer cars? Here, up pops this little thing, and shall we show you where the nearest gas station is? No, I don't want to know anything about it. Now, how many of you are the half-tankers? How many of you can't? Yeah, there, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of you kind of half tankers. Now, some, some people are even get down a quarter. Oh, let's not take any chances. Now, if you live in a desert where you're 500 miles from here, I'm on the three-quarter mark, right? I'm just Because I'm always looking at the map. How far away is the next time to get filled up? Now, I want you to think of this. In the Holy Spirit realm, you never, never want to be without continuing to be filled. There's no more gas stations the way you should act. As you, every step, you want to be filled. Be being kept full. See the difference? It's not, oh, I guess I must need a little spirit. I really can't feel kind of puny. Guess what? You'll never feel out of sorts. You'll never be any of those things. As you be being kept full. That's the key, actually, to having victory and the power of the Holy Spirit to be enacted within your life. So let's go. Um, now, the other thing, if you see, you know, every time we've seen power in the Bible, the word that we, as in the Greek, is dunamis. Dunamis. D-U-N. Let's see, dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, okay? Do you know what that means? Yes, dynamite. The English word we get from that, from dunamis, is dynamite. Now, does that give you an idea of what the Holy Spirit should do within us? Absolutely. You can say, I have dynamite in my soul. I have dynamite in my mind. And they'll look at you like, what's wrong with you? 
That's okay because you're set for anything because the power of the Holy Spirit is in you, dwelling within you. So the way to appropriate the available power is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, think of it this way. Again, that, that would be like the habitual permeation. You're really never, ever not saturated or permeated. Does that word work for you? For me, it really works. When I'm fully saturated, think of a, think of a let's say you have a pot of, uh, you've got a flower. So I'm making this up, so it might fall short. Let's say we have a, we have a pot. Oh, there's a flower right here. Okay. Let, let's say that, is there a level of which this is always full of water? The answer is yes. Okay. And, well, you were getting technical. But now that, you're saying, well, that's too much for the plant. Don't worry about that. I'm thinking about the sense of saturation. There's no more that it can take. There's no more water that it can take. Now, you've seen soil are, are places where it's so saturated, what happens then? It runs off. That's the way I want to be with the Holy Spirit because when I'm fully saturated, this is actually going to work really good because when I'm really, really fully saturated, guess who else gets some more Holy Spirit that's coming off of me because there's nowhere for it to go? Someone else down the line. I like how that worked out. And that's what the Holy Spirit really wants for me to be is someone that just lets it fall. And when I'm full, not only am I giving off from the, what's growing within me, but also goes on. This is good stuff. The power, the dunamis, the dynamite that is within us. Being habitually permeated by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? We think his thoughts. We obey his will. We're controlled by, I think that's the key word for me. When you're being filled, when, when, when you have the essence of being fully saturated, full, you know what you are? You're controlled by. That's why in verse 18 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, it talks about, don't be drunk with wine. What happens when you're drunk? You're controlled. You're, you, you have no control yourself. In fact, there's so many people that say, they'll be told of what they did. And, and it's different for different people. I get that. But they won't even believe what they did. Because they were out of their mind. They weren't controlled. They had no control. The alcohol had full control of their faculties. They can't even believe what they did. And I'm telling you what, when you're controlled that much by the Holy Spirit, oh my goodness, you talk about power. That is exactly why that analogy was, well, actually I could go deeper into that, but that, that'll work for right now. Thinking his thoughts, obeying his will, being controlled by whatever is filling your mind. Uh, here, Philippians chapter 4. Let's turn there for a moment. Philippians chapter 4. You're saying, you know, this guy's not going to quit today, is he? Yeah, you know, we'll see. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. It says this. Finally, brethren. Verse 8, chapter 4 of Philippians. Finally, brethren. You notice that word brethren. It's family. It's, it's on our level. It's a sense of equality. It's a sense of togetherness. We'll find it in Romans chapter 8 as well. But finally, brethren, verse 8 of chapter 4 of Philippians, it says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise... Think on these things. That verse probably says more about getting our minds right for the Holy Spirit to use in His way than anything else I can think of. Have you ever heard of, have you ever seen these, this acronym? Let me see, I've got to erase some stuff. <clears throat> so this acronym, I'm going to see if you guys have ever heard of this before. It's G, period, I, period, G, period, O, period. 
I could say Geico, but then you'd think it was Geico, and you'd think I was doing a commercial, but I'm not doing that. It's G-I-G-O. You don't know, do you? I have you where I want you. Okay. <laughs> oh, I made it up. I made it. Yeah. Well, I sort of did, actually. And you've never, in other words, really said, never seen that before because you just made that up. Well, I can't say that, but, I, but it's been made up, obviously. But for instance, now, if Philippians chapter 4 is where we're thinking about things that are true, that are honest, that are loving, what are the, how many are there? Though? Let's look at that again. That's really important. Let's go back. Uh, verse 8. Well, let's, let's, let's knock them off. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue and there be any, pr- oh my goodness, there's seven or eight things there, isn't there? It's all good stuff. Now, this would be the opposite. I'm trying to give you a hint. This would be the opposite of that. It's actually an old computer term. Garbage in, garbage out. And if we put garbage in our minds, what's going to come out? Absolutely. And it comes out. So what you have in your mind is what comes out in behavior. You can't think wrong things and have right actions. Correct? It cannot happen. So uh, chapter eight, chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians actually allows us to really see how we need to be filling our mind, which allows the Spirit to control our minds, and that truly is the same as being filled with the Spirit. See, whatever you pump into your mind comes out in your behavior. Now, this ties together with Romans chapter 12. If the Spirit of God is controlling our mind, then your mind is being... Romans chapter 12, verse... What would you say? Okay, very good. (laughs) It's okay, it's okay. All of that's true, but that's exactly what it means when he's saying to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. It's the same as what he says in Romans chapter 12. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12, and let's see exactly how he labels that. Romans chapter 12, let's read it again, and let's see what he says in verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conf- Now, how do you be conformed to the world? To think about all of the stuff that would be the opposite of verse 8 of chapter 4 of Philippians, the things that are untrue. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? 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 By the renewing of your mind. And when, how does that renewing take place? When you are being controlled, when, you are being, when you're walking in the Spirit, then He's literally renewing your mind. You see how it fits together? So you didn't see that quite, did you? It really fits together nicely in my head, right? You good for you. All right, there's two of us. There's two of us. The renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Okay, that was the end of page three on my notes. And we have seven. <laughs> if you can hear that on the tape, that was Ernie. He said, oh, right? Okay, but, but obviously the only point I'm going to say is this. We have no way of finishing today, but what I'm going to try to find is this really nice, high climactic point that you just can't wait to come back next week to see how we're going to finish up. To be continued. That's exactly right. Um, Let's see. Let's... um, That's all good there. Let, let, I'll tell you what, let's finish up. Let's, let's just do this. Let's kind of bring it to a close. It's really not going to be a pivotal point, but I, I've got to make sure I write my notes where we stop. Um, but let's look at two different uh, books that Paul wrote. And I want you to see how he writes the, 
the, uh, I'm going to say the privileges, and this will tie in next week as well, but let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We've been there already today. Maybe you're still there. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, if, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're being controlled by the Spirit, then literally he starts to talk about a whole lot of things that follow and relationships ultimately become good. He's talking about, in verse 19, chapter 5, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, see, do you see what I'm saying? That, that's just so, it's almost so easy to do that. When you're being controlled, when you're thinking about the right things, and you're being, having your mind renewed, all of that stuff, and you know what that would be? What could we say about that verse? That's worship, isn't it? That's really worship. Now, as you go on, he's, uh, he's talked about giving thanks, a sense of submission. Those are verses 19 and 20. You've got you the right relationship to the Holy Spirit ultimately. But now watch happens in verse 22. Now we've got a relationship for husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. And then you go down into chapter 6 in verse 1, and it's the family relationship, children and parents. And then you go on to verse 5 through 9, and you find the sense of, of uh, employees and, and, and master, in this case, servants and masters, but in, an employee relationship. All of those things result from the fact of how, when we're being controlled and being filled with the Spirit, and that would be back in verse 18, it says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to hold that and turn over to the little book of Colossians, chapter 3. You find the same, almost the same Zach in a, a condensed version. But watch, he's going to call it something a little bit different. But if you look in verse 16, actually, I don't want to go there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But let's look at um, verse 18. Again, what do we have? We have a relationship between husbands and wives. In verse 20, we have children and parents. We have in verse 22, servants and masters. Verse Four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a Father in heaven. All of these relationships come from what? Now back to verse 16 of Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, flip back to Ephesians chapter... Just hold right. I want, I want you to see this. It sounds like exactly the same text, but he uses different words. Verse 18, chapter 5, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. He is saying the exact same things, and it means exactly the same thing. The Holy Spirit and the word of Christ are synonymous. And you know how that works? When you put the word of God within your mind, literally the Holy Spirit can use that in any possible way to make all your relationships, all of your worship, everything that makes that relationship between you and God, it all works perfectly. Now you say perfectly. Oh, I'm saying as perfect as it can get. When we are immersed, when we're saturated, when we're permeated with the Holy Spirit, our lives become a whole lot Godward. W-A-R-D. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to us. That's what he's trying to get across to us. I think we're going to stop right there. Because what we're going to talk about next week is how... See, we only, do you know we covered one point today? Do you know what it was? You guys don't even know. We went down so many... Do you, does anybody know the point we started on? Wow, I did a good job of confusing you, right? Life in the Spirit, that's what Chapter 8 is all about. Yep. So let's go back and review for just a second. Um, the first, there were seven aspects of which you don't have them all, so don't, don't feel bad about that. But the first aspect 
of Holy Spirit working in your life is what? Remember that one? It was in verse 2. Excuse me? Yes. Thank you. Freedom from death and sin. Followed by number two. That, say it one more time. Yes, exactly. Once we're dead to sin and death, then we're actually able to and can, can fulfill God's law. So he allows us to live righteously. Number three, you'll get this one. Changes our nature. Yes, and that's called transformation. You've done really well. And then, and then so I've been really vague on everything. <laughs> and number four, the one that we looked at really today, we've kind of put, that's where we focused on because those were three from last week. What is it? Exactly right. Empowering us for spiritual victory over flesh. That's literally where we're at. Now, the other thing, and this was always gotten to that, the first part of part four, getting empowered by the Holy Spirit, there was the first thing we did, and that was the power of victory. Remember that? That's really the only thing we've covered today, ultimately, out of what we've talked about. The power of victory is what? The Holy Spirit. Now, you'll be glad to know there's four more of those that we're going to cover next week. And you say, there's no way. Yeah, and it's going to go really quick now. Because we've done all of our foundation work. We're just ready to rock and roll. Rumble and crumble. Right, there we go. Zoom. Questions or comments? What do you guys think about the Holy Spirit? I'm hoping that it's like peeling back a whole other curtain. And you say, I never knew that. And it really should. Because the Holy Spirit in today's world in the year 2020... And you know the access sometimes that we don't do, and this is collectively. I appreciate so much. There's, there's many of you gals that are praying. You get together and you pray. That is such a big deal because it allows the, the Spirit to work even more mightily than we can even imagine. It really, really gets it going. And today, folks, we need to pray for one another. Thank you for praying for me. Oh, by the way, that is it. I've got I've to get on a plane tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock. I'll be gone most of the week just visiting bull customers. And uh, it, you, know, you know how it is. You, you really don't want to go, but you have to go. Nobody knows how that works, right? Okay. <laughs> but it is what it is. But I would appreciate your prayers. And the other thing is, is I can tell when you guys are praying for the word that goes out on Sunday afternoons. And the other thing you may not know, the group that's here, which is really our inside family, there are literally a whole lot of people that are hearing this that live a long ways away. And we will never know how God has used it to bring those to himself in the kingdom that someday we're all going to be together. So keep praying. Let the Holy Spirit work. There's power that you have no idea how much is there. But when you think of it this way, it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the one that lives within each and every one of us that have trusted Christ as Savior. If that doesn't pick you up, then I got nothing for you. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Word of God that displays this and opens it up for us. Thank you for Paul's writings and how he's always, always pointing to the sovereign power of a God that is completely and fully in control. Thank you, Father, that beyond, it's beyond our wildest imagination and understanding of what can be accomplished when we trust you. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead or we probably wouldn't be here today. There'd be no reason. Religion, Father, is built on man's pride and them reaching up to you. May you break through that, Father. May they see their need for a Savior because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We want to thank you for each and every one that was here today. We would ask that you'd quiet their hearts. Allow us, Father, to walk humbly before you with gentleness, with meekness, speaking the truth in love. 
All of those things, Father, allow us to be more encompassed by your will. May Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, as we think on those things that are valuable and honest and true and holy and have good report, Father, those things are how the Holy Spirit can utilize a saturated mind that has a bent towards pleasing you, which can only come from the transformation that works from the inside out as Jesus Christ is who we're placed into through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, there's much more that can be said, and we thank you for this day. And may those things, if there's anything that was said that was, that was, not, uh, was not right, was not appropriate, Father, it would quickly be evaporate from our minds. But, Father, whatever is said that is true and worthy, that it cannot be escaped from our minds. For there's power in the Word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Thank you for that. Thank you for the power of the Spirit using the Word of God in people around us. Father, we think of our communities in which we live. We would ask that there are those that would come to Christ because of the Word of God and the Spirit working in their lives. And Father, may we share a testimony, may we share that truth with love. Father, we think of all of those that are hurting and and in challenging situations. We ask that you put your arms around them, show them your love and your care and your concern. We trust you with what you're going to be accomplishing. We trust you, Father, with the future. We thank you that you love us so much you will not allow us to remain the same, but continue to conform us to the image of your Son by the renewing of our minds from the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Father, there's so much more to be said, but we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We trust you. We love you. Now control us and use us in a way that's best for your will. We succumb. We bow at your feet with humility and love. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.